This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to Round Ball Stew. I am Matt Straub. Thank you for joining us on a Thursday edition of the show. It is Thursday, May 12th, and today we will be doing a NBA Playoffs Fantasy Stock Watch. Players who are up or down in our estimation based on what they have done so far in the postseason. And to do this, I'm joined by Raphael Johnson and Steve Alexander. Uh, guys, Raph, how about that uh, combo of games last night? We had one of the one of the ultimate nail biters, and then we had just the most absurd, unexpected blowout. I mean, what what happened? I'm still processing it. I don't know, but the Bucks Celtics series just continues to deliver. It, I think that's what a lot of people expected before it started, and it hasn't disappointed. So I think it was surprising how Boston kind of broke down down the stretch, but we just got another masterclass in, in what makes Drew Holiday one of the best defenders that we've seen in the NBA in quite some time. So yeah. For sure. I really liked uh, somebody on Twitter last night was like, uh, it was nice of the Warriors to to give Mike Brown a little taste of what it's going to be like to coach the Kings <laughs> next year. Are the are the Kings are the Kings panicking right now? No. Like, is the Kings front office wondering what they did? I hope the ink is no, uh, dried up and, and good to go on that contract. They're fine. <laughs> They're fine. You're kind of playing with fire when you let a team hang around like this, especially one that's essentially wounded like Memphis is without John Morant. But I don't think the Warriors are too stressed. They're going back home for game six. I kind of feel like they're going to go ahead and take care of that. At least that's what their mindset may be heading into it. So Mm -hmm. it's just one of those nights where, as the late Henry Hill once said, everybody takes a beating sometimes. And last night it was the Warriors' turn. Yeah, for sure. It, it's easy to picture them looking wildly yeah. different uh, going back home. By the way, going back to that Boston game quickly before we get into the reason we're here today. How does Marcus Smart have the ball in both of those plays, crunch time, where you know he gets blocked by Drew Holiday, gets it stolen by Drew Holiday? Why? Where are the uh, where are the stars? No, I mean Marcus Smart's a good player, but where are the stars in both those situations? Does anyone have an explanation? I was just going to say, for the second play, you saw people setting Jason Tatum supposedly open on the other side of the floor because Wesley Matthews fell down. What you don't see in that clip is Giannis playing almost like a center field role. So throwing that ball across court while you're being guarded Mm -hmm. was going to be a roll of the dice, especially with Drew Holiday kind of in the area of Marcus Smart as well. So. I think there were stats that showed how much their ball movement went down in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So maybe they just got tired more than anything. Yeah, and I think on the first play, when Smart was making his move on the baseline and Drew came out of nowhere and snatched that thing out of the air and then threw it off his stomach, um, I think Smart was the guy that got open on that play, and he he just ended up with a ball. And yeah. and he, he saw a lane mm-hmm. and thought he had thought he had it. It looked like he did. Um and I think the other play, they just didn't give it time time enough to develop. But, yeah, it, the fact that Jason Tatum didn't touch the ball 
in either one of those situations is is a problem. Tatum or Brown or Al Horford, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Not to mention what what were the offensive rebounds in that game when it didn't yeah, 17 offensive rebounds, including the yep. the Bobby Portis miracle, miracle. One that seemed to bounce through mm-hmm. everybody's hands and end up at him. Yeah, somehow seven bodies collided on that play, and the ball found Bobby Portis. <laughs> that that play was crazy, uh, but yeah, but <laughs> but truly, just I mean, monstrous monstrous defensive plays by Drew Holiday. That that strip at the end was just crazy. Well, we're here today, as I said, we got a little fantasy playoff stock watch. We have each picked three players, and we got two guys who are up in our estimation in these playoffs, and one each who are slash is down in value so far. And we're going to kind of try to keep this fantasy-centric, but I mean, you know, it's playoff performances and what that means for fantasy or doesn't mean for fantasy. So, Raph, lead things off for us. We're going to start with the guys who are up, and your first guy is Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, Maxie, I thought he wasn't a finalist for most improved player, I don't believe, but he should have been in my view, uh, just because of the the responsibility that was placed on his shoulders. You know, ben, no Ben Simmons to start the season. So he effectively moved to the point and played extremely well. Add James Harden to the mix, and I thought he was even better once he was able to play alongside another ball-dominant guard. Um, you know, for the whole season – Talking about guys, 53rd and 9-cat, 70th and 8-cat, and 8-cat. Didn't turn the ball over much. And I know there's a question of James Harden, whether or not Philly's going to pay him a massive deal this summer. I'm not going to get into whether or not they should do that. But regardless of what happens with Harden, I think Maxie's a guy that's only going to continue to rise in terms of his influence within that rotation and his production, too. So he improved his scoring by over nine points per game this season. I don't see that type of jump next year just because you got Joel Embiid who's going to get his touches, Tobias Harris, and maybe likely James Harden as well. But I think he's going to be a guy that be safely within the top 50 in both eight and nine cat next season. Yeah, Maxi, you know, I've talked about him a lot in the past year. I drafted him on most of my teams. His playoff performance has been kind of up and down. He was better in the regular season, I think, than he has been in the postseason. Um, he has had a couple of huge games. He's also had some duds. His last one, in fact, was two of 10 for nine points. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, I mean, he's he might be the quickest guard in the NBA. Like, he's so fast when he gets moving downhill. And, uh, you know, as I've said before, I'll, I'll happily draft Max again next year, especially now that um, we know Ben Simmons is not going not gonna to ever be there to mess him up. So uh, his playoff numbers, even including that dud that Steve just referenced, 20.8 points per game, three and a half rebounds, almost four assists, shooting 49 from the field, 94 from the line, and the one and a half turnovers, like you referenced, Raph. The only question with Maxi that I have is it's not even about who's in the rotation because he's proving, I mean, 21 points per game in the playoffs, even playing alongside Harden and Embiid. The only question I have is the defensive stats when it comes to fantasy. 0.8 steals, 0.1 blocks in the playoffs. You'd love to see more, but I mean, I realize that's also getting greedy because if he was getting yeah. steals, you know, if he's getting like one and a half steals, he'd be like a what second or third round fantasy pick. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Raph, the, before we move on, Steve and I have talked about this already. We were trying to pinpoint where we think Maxi's going to go with all of this playoff related fuel for his ADP. What do you think? What, what are you envisioning if you had to guess right now? I'm thinking like fourth or fifth round. You know, yeah. you mentioned the defensive stats. That's probably what's going to push him down a bit. But mm-hmm. 
He's, he was never known as a defensive stopper, so you weren't really expecting that. I think, if anything, right. you're just hoping that he'll continue to be the efficient offensive force that he's proven to be this season. Yeah. I mean, you love this. You love the stat line. Otherwise, it's really yeah. the only the only gripe in the series against the Heat in five games. He's averaging one steal, and that is up against one point four turnovers for a guy that has the ball in his hands that much. That is that's pretty awesome. And then yeah. in the other series against the Raptors, he was at one point seven turnovers and point um, seven steals. So he blocked the steal in four out of those six games or he had a steal in four out of those six games. So he's never going to be a shot blocker. We know that you're, you're throwing that away, but his efficiency, like Ralph said, um, it's pretty, pretty stout, pretty stellar. Okay. Number two on the list. And this is Steve's first guy in this stock up section is drew holiday. So Steve, give us your thoughts on the aforementioned defensive wizard, drew holiday. Well, I just thought that after last night's game, if we didn't, get him right off the top he deserved to be talked about because he hasn't really shot the ball very well in this mm -hmm. entire series and really throughout most of the these playoffs right. um, he actually shot it pretty good in in the Bulls series but then again they were playing the Bulls but uh this series against Boston he really has not shot the ball well but his everything else he's doing is helping the Bucks win games and um, two blocks and a steal on Wednesday, three steals on Monday, three steals and a block on Saturday, two steals on Tuesday, three more steals on Sunday. So just the steals alone. I, I think Drew Holiday is a very underrated defensive player, or at least he was until last night because now everybody's talking about it. But even though the shooting's been off, he's hit, he's hit three pointers, at least a three pointer in every playoff game. Uh, his free throw shooting is outstanding. He hasn't missed one in this series. Um, the assists are eight, nine, three, seven, and five. The rebounds are are you know pushing double digits on most nights, and then the other stuff. And he, he really doesn't turn the ball over very much. So I think he's like the per perfect complement to Chris Middleton and Giannis. And um, it was a good move for the Bucks to go get him a, a, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think good move is understating it, to be honest with you. You, know, you compare him to Eric Bledsoe, and that was a championship decision, obviously, you know, to make that trade. And I'm glad you mentioned Chris Middleton because I think that's why his field goal percentage has struggled in this series. You know, you move from that number three to number two option. It doesn't seem like much, but in terms of what Milwaukee does and what they need offensively from those top guys, that is a big deal. So I don't think he's getting the same caliber of shots that he would get if you have Middleton and Giannis in the lineup. But I don't that doesn't concern me at all. I think if anything, like you said, he's been I think he's been underdrafted, you know, since he's been in Milwaukee. He had a Yahoo ADP mm -hmm. of just over 41 this season. Mm -hmm. Given what he can give you defensively as an assist guy, and his percentages, they weren't great, but they were better when he was that third option. I like him as a third-round guy going into next season, personally. That may be a little high for some people, but I like him as a solid third-round person in my, for me. Yeah, I don't know if th this was a factor for other people in where they were drafting him or whether they were fading him entirely coming to this year. You know, the the long playoff run followed by the Olympics, yeah. I think a little worried about the mileage on Drew as a guy who's, I think, on the north side of 30. So obviously that didn't really prove to be a big problem. 
Um, mm-hmm. and he's obviously fine now. So heading into next year, normal off season, I think uh, there's a lot to like here, as you said. So for my first guy uh, stock up, I thought about, I was thinking about all the performances and who is talking me into drafting them when I was maybe thinking about not doing it. And the first name that came to mind was, boy, that Jimmy Butler is, is putting up quite, putting on quite a show. But to me, I kind of, I try to see through that when it comes to fantasy because this is clearly a guy who is so geared toward winning at this stage of his career. You know, it's not about yeah. uh, uh, playing 75 games in the regular season. It's about trying to make a run in the playoffs, I think. And we're seeing he's at his best right now. That doesn't help you in fantasy leagues. Um, he helps you in fantasy leagues, but we still expect all those missed games with Butler. So I'm I'm not going with Butler is the, the long story short there. I'm going with... <laughs> Another ageless over 30 guy, and that is old man Al Horford, who I think is approaching his 36th birthday in this postseason, sitting at 15 points, 9.2 boards, 3.1 dimes, 1.2 steals, 1.1 blocks, 2.63s. I mean, in this Bucks series in particular, we're seeing easy Al doing things we didn't even know he could still do. Steve, you have any thoughts here? I mean, what what, what is what should this do for us when it comes to drafting Al next year, if anything? I don't think it moves the needle much for me. Like, I... This past season coming in, I, I was sort of saying things like, well, he was really good for OKC before they shut him down last year. He's probably going to be relevant for this team this year. So I think he's like a maybe a good glue guy to grab late in your draft. That's probably what he is next year as well. But, man, that 30-point 30, <laughs> 30 game when he hit 11 of 14 shots and and – set his playoff career high scoring number at this age and on this stage was was pretty incredible to see and then the game before that he had 22 and 16 like i don't even know man that's fountain of youth is uh calling easy out yeah i think what helped him was oklahoma city shutting him down in like was it january oh so he had that time to kind of recover and then get his body right to where he could get back to a contending team and fully contribute. So he'll be, obviously, he'll turn 36 in June. So, but is it a true 36 just because of that half season where he basically, mm-hmm. he was with the team, but he didn't play in any games. So that's a little wear and tear that, that wasn't on the tire, so to speak. But yeah, I'm with Steve. It, this performance during the postseason doesn't move the needle for me because you still have to factor in Robert Williams. Um, I think he's just only going to grow in influence as he gets older and, and more experienced. That partnership has worked really well for both of them and the Celtics in general, but Al's still going to be 36. Even with that half season, he effectively got off. So I don't, I, it really doesn't impact me much. He's obviously he's a guy that I would definitely take in the later rounds, but he wouldn't be someone that I would necessarily target. Yeah, I mean, I think because there's – so, you know, because of the age factor, I do think he's probably going to fall in drafts. And yeah. it just it just feels like he's got something left to where he can. He won't do this, obviously, because he didn't do this during the regular season. But the regular season numbers, despite a little bit of inconsistency, were still pretty valuable, the net result of it. And by the way, that OKC thing was something along the lines of, I still remember the blurb on NBC Sports Edge. It was something like Al Horford parentheses rest will miss the thunder's final 30 games or something like that i'd have to go back and look it was so good though ah i loved it just 30 games of rest raf your second guy is another playoff standout desmond bain 
Yeah, Desmond, um, he looked a little bit better last night. He's been dealing with some back trouble, but overall, you know, there's a reason why John Moran dropped off that most improved player trophy at Desmond's house, you know, after they gave it to him, because I thought he was going to be the guy that, that Memphis would kind of champion for most improved player. Not that they champion one or the other, but over the other, but Ja was a lottery pick. So I think we kind of expected this season to a certain extent from him. Bain, on the other hand, has really exceeded expectations. Um, he was a top 40 player in nine cat, just outside of top 50 and eight cat. And I think mm -hmm. what I'm looking forward to seeing from him moving forward are the, the assist numbers. Um, his assist percentage when he wasn't on the court with John Morant was at 19.1. 9.2 when they're on the court together. His usage is a little bit higher with Ja off the floor. And I know we're, we're going to talk about this guy later in the podcast because he's on your list, Tyus Jones. Tyus is going to be a free agent this summer. Um, and I think we may not talk about him the way that we talk about Jalen Brunson, but I feel like he's earned himself some money, whether that's in Memphis or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a situation where they stagger the minutes of John Morant and Desmond Bain a little bit more next season, and that can kind of enhance his value a little bit. So Desmond Bain with his shooting ability, what he can give you all over the floor um, defensively as well, he's a guy that I really like heading into the next season. Bain was awesome this season. I didn't have any shares of him, which which kind of bums me out. He was awesome in that first series against uh, Minnesota. And then in the series against the Warriors, he's he's kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, he looked better last night, but that was a, you know, 55-point blowout at one point. Three of the first four games of that series, he scored eight, five, and nine points. Yeah. Shooting it not all that well. And I think he's dealing with um, back, a right? back issue yeah. that's yeah. really bothering him. And hopefully that doesn't linger in the next season. Um, I, I'm probably going to go out of my way to get, get Bane on some of my teams next year since I, since I missed out on all the fun that everyone had with him this year. So uh, I'm not letting this, this, Warriors series impact my thoughts for next year. I, I love Desmond Bain. Um, you know, Tyus Jones, a guy we could have talked about uh, in this realm as well because he looked really good last night. No turnovers, nine assists, I think. Really filling in nicely for John Morant. And I think if, if a team like Memphis loses Tyus Jones and a team like Dallas loses Jalen Brunson, they're going to really be sorry um, when it comes time to put that second unit in next year as for bain i think he was a really good example of in terms of fantasy just trusting the talent that the talent's going to win out because when you looked at that rotation heading into the year it was like oh well they have the anthony melton they have dylan brooks they have you know kyle anderson coming off a good year like how is there going to be enough minutes for bain but clearly this was a case where Memphis believed in his talent and you could, you know, so, I know some of our colleagues saw this breakout coming and I would listen to someone, I can't remember who, and I drafted Bain myself based on that. So good times there. And the defensive stats, which you mentioned, Raph, 1.0 steals, 0.7 blocks in these playoffs so far, in addition to 3.53. So that is fun. And we're going to keep it in Memphis now for a minute longer because Steve, your next guy is Jaron Jackson Jr. What are your thoughts? Yeah, he's kind of, um, he's kind of doing in this Warriors series, what we thought he was going to do all season long. And that is um, lots of steals, lots of blocks, uh, lots of threes. And 
lots of points. Like he's he's playing really well. We we would have had a Jaron Jackson Jr. game on Wednesday night had it not been a fifty-five point blowout. We got a Jaron Jackson game in game one when he hit ten of eighteen shots for thirty-three points, ten boards. He's had two blocks, five blocks, two blocks, one block in this series. Uh, this is the Jaron Jackson Jr. that Jonas Nader has been dreaming about for the last three years. And he comes, it kind of comes and goes um, at times, but overall he he's going to be a fantasy monster because of those blocks, steals and threes. Like that is his middle name. That's what he does. He's still very, very young and still figuring things out. So, I mean, it's easy for us to sit back here and say, is, is Jaron Jackson Jr. ever going to, to blow to blow up and, and break out? Um, but it, it still feels like it has to happen. Like there's, there's no way it's not going to happen. I mean, I, I'm kind of excited about, about his next season. Cause I feel like that's when he's really going to put it all together and, and have the confidence and, and it's, he's just going to go nuts. Yeah, I think it's coming in 2022, 23. Um, one of the concerns has been early foul trouble for him, you know, for much mm-hmm. of his career. I think he's gotten better in that regard. You know, he averaged 4.1 fouls per game his second year. It's decreased each of the next two years since. He's at 3.5 per game during the regular season this year. He's had some foul issues in these playoffs and averaging 4.6 per game in these playoffs. But I just think what he brings to the table, we talk about the, the defensive stats, the three-point shooting. I just think he's only going to get better. And you know, going into year five, I think he's going to blow up in Memphis next year. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget that this guy is two years younger than rookie Chris Duarte. Now, that also says that Duarte was an old rookie, but Jaron Jackson is 22 years old. And I think the only question for me and the only missing thing is I, I, he can just get his field goal percentage a little higher. I mean, he, he's just got to be a little more accurate. 39.4% in the playoffs. I think he was 41-something during the regular season. With his size and skill set, I mean, he's got to be a 45 to 47% shooter, I think. You know, even even if we can get up to like 44, 45, we're going to see a big scoring spike. And I think that is kind of what's missing in my mind. Steve? Yeah, I think the field goal percentage is is a concern. And then the, as far as the foul trouble goes, it's amazing to me how much of his foul trouble is from offensive fouls. I, I feel like he's, he's not um, completely disciplined offensively yet and once he figures that out then i think the foul trouble goes away too because i feel like he gets a lot of offensive offensive calls against him and by the way the three-point shooting i mean it's a great aspect of his game in terms of adding versatility but it hasn't been an asset the last couple years he shot 28.3 percent last year 31.9 this year after shooting 39.4 percent his second year in the league so there's room for some positive regression there as well if we believe in what he did his first couple years from three. I, I always see him shoot threes. I'm like, I don't know how that thing goes in, but it, it does It does at times. Steve, you got another comment here? Yeah, I'm going to throw a, a relative viewer question out there since we got one. Uh, Jay Faz says, who do you guys value higher in a dynasty league? Bain mm-hmm. or Maxi? Two guys we've, we just got done talking about. Raph, you want to take this one? I go Maxi, personally, mm-hmm. um, because... Even as much as I like Bain, he's still going to be playing next to John Morant for the yeah. foreseeable future. And 
Maxie, he could have a long-term partnership with James Harden, but I, I just kind of feel like what we've seen from James makes me think that his influence is just going to decrease as time wears on. Obviously, father mm-hmm. time is undefeated, but yep. James hasn't looked as sharp as he did in previous years. So I think I would go Maxie in, in the Dynasty League personally. That's fair. That's an interesting question because I, I feel like Bain is going to be taken before Maxie in both standard leagues and dynasty leagues, but it's close, man. I don't think you're going to – honestly, it's it's a little bit of a can't-totally-go-wrong situation either. Yeah, I think you'd be happy to have that that decision to make in, in a draft. Yeah. But I, I think I'd lead, I'd lead Bain. Okay, number six on our list, and the last of the guys we are high on, not the last Memphis Grizzly, though, is Tyus Jones, who we've mentioned a little bit. So we don't need to spend a ton of time here, but this is my second guy. Last oh, two starts. Sorry. With, what? Sorry, Matt. What? That we, we already... Oh, no, it's t- fine. Did your tie- I got more information. I got more information. Okay, um, the last two starts without Ja Morant, 20 points per game, four and a half rebounds, seven assists, a steal, a block, three and a half threes, 53% from the floor, 0.5 turnovers. And, you know, we've already mentioned a little bit the free agency situation. This guy's, you know, an unrestricted free agent. I just keep thinking, I don't know, for for a while I thought maybe Tyus Jones doesn't have a ton of ceiling. But the more I see games like last night, I start to think in the right situation. I mean, could this guy be like the, you know, the light lesser version of Fred Van Vliet in fantasy? You know, I mean, his per 36 minutes numbers this year were 14.7 points, 4.1 boards, seven and a half assists, 1.5 steals, 1.9 threes. I mean, I don't know. The Wizards are a team that come to mind. If if the Wizards happen to sign this guy, I mean, I know the Knicks are reportedly interested in him, depending on what you read. This could be, you know, a league winning kind of guy in the right situation, fantasy wise. Raph, you're a Knicks guy. Do you think Tyus Jones could potentially be a fit for the Knicks? And, and would that work is he going to be a tibbs guy even if the knicks pay him man i don't know i, I think he can be but it, it feel he kind of feels like a, a player where if you go after jalen brunson and you strike out on him then you you don't necessarily settle for tyus jones but mm-hmm. he would be a, a good secondary option there it's all obviously it's all about the situation yeah, and that that's what gives me pause in terms of fantasy as well. Like, I don't know if I can fully commit to him. We don't know where he's going to be playing next year. Like, if right. he's in Memphis, that would make it tougher to commit just because of John Morant. You know, obviously, sure. um, going to a place where he could be the starter would be great. But per thirty six numbers can be a bit tricky because you know there's so many other factors to take into consideration. Like, who are you playing no with? Um, are you ready to be a full-on starter in the NBA? That's the other question, too. Like, we've seen flashes. He's done pretty well this season when he's filled in for job. But there's a difference between filling in for an injured starter and being handed the keys yourself. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I have some reservations about Tyus Jones. I really like him, what he's done for this team. But in terms of next year, I don't, I don't know right now. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we it's definitely a, a big question mark. Steve, you have any thoughts on this one? It's just going to all depend on where he ends up. I think Minnesota, New York, Washington, places like that, it's going to be make him very, very intriguing. But if he ends up somewhere where they've already got an established point guard, let's keep in mind that in this first three games of the series when Ja was playing, he had two points in two of them and three points in another. And he's just not 
he's not nearly as exciting, in my opinion, as as Jalen Brunson, uh, who gets his numbers whether Luca's playing or not. Um, but I mean, when Tyus Jones has gotten the ball, he, he's been pretty fun to watch, and he's been very efficient. So um, I kind of hope he ends up in a leading role next year. I mean, the thing to like about Tyus Jones over Jalen Brunson fantasy wise is the steals. Uh, Tyus Jones is a better steals guy, but I, I get I get the reservations. Yeah, we don't know. I just think the when I see a game like last night, twenty one points, nine assists, no turnovers, two steals, a block, and four threes in twenty four minutes, you start to think maybe this guy's a higher ceiling than we think. And I and I, I also take your point, Raph. It's a lot easier to potentially just jump in for John Morant than it is to be a starter for eighty games. But I'm intrigued. His stock, you know, I, I think. Let's just leave it at that. We have three more names to hit. We're going to hit the opposite of intrigue in a second, specifically the players whose stock are down, is down. My grammar doesn't work today. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in the NBA playoffs, Premier League, on the PGA Tour, and NASCAR circuit. We also have a very special edition of NBC Sports Edge's A Good Football Show following the NFL schedule release on Thursday night. That's why you're hearing from us today on Thursday. Join Sarah Perlman, Pat Doherty, Drew Dinsick, and Pat Corain on Friday at noon Eastern as they dig into marquee matchups, analyze team win totals, and predict who we think will be crowned divisional champions in 2022. All right, three names left. Stockwatch down, the graph emoji downward. Raf, your first guy is a gentleman by the name of Mike Conley. Yeah, um, he's been a top 100 player three of the last four seasons, but Mm -hmm. I have concerns. He he did play in 70 regular season games this year, but I think, was it 41 and 50? I think it's 51 and 47 or something to that effect the two seasons prior. One of those was shortened by the pandemic. He had that four-month gap there. But um, I think him turning 35 in October, that gives me – that's a concern. And the other thing is, will we see a point where Donovan Mitchell has the ball in his hands even more? Obviously, he's already a high-usage guard, but – it makes me wonder how Utah set up if they try if they eventually just go to Donovan Mitchell as the point guard for that that team and let him run the show. Um, just kind of have that scoring guard who can also just distribute distribute the basketball as well. So that's my concern about Conley. 
he's effective, but I, at this point, I, he's not a guy that I would hitch my, my wagon to fantasy-wise just because of the, the past medical concerns. And the concerns about that franchise, too, I don't think they're going to go with a complete overhaul. I don't see them doing that with this group, but it feels like a situation where his influence will kind of decrease going into next season personally. I mean, I think the key here is that he's going to be 35 in October when the season mm-hmm. starts. Um, his playoff, you know, if we're, we're taking a look at his playoff performance against Dallas. Yeah, he was bad. There was that over seven, zero points. There was the two for eight, six points. There was a one for six, four points. You know, he's yeah. veteran, veteran enough and old enough and, and been around long enough that he, he should be showing up mm-hmm. in playoff games. I mean, that's yeah. sort of why he's their point guard. And I just feel like he had he had one decent game, two decent games, and and f- you know four bad ones. And I I'm not a huge fan of drafting 35 year old point guards. Yeah, he'll he'll be off my he'll be in a, a do not draft section. Conley's been a really good fantasy guy for a long time, really good real life player for a long time. But he just shot 33.3 percent in the playoffs, 9.2 points, 4.8 assists, 0.8 steals, and kind of like you were just saying, Steve. I mean. The playoffs when the old dudes come out and shine, right? I mean, that's that's what it's all about. If you're if you're you know crashing like that in the playoffs, it just feels like an ominous sign to me. You could just maybe maybe credit to the defense he faced, et cetera, et cetera. But I will be out on this one, just like you guys. Steve, tell us your thoughts. The last Memphis Grizzly of about nine that we've somehow hit in nine players. Dylan Brooks, what are your thoughts here? Before Dylan Brooks crippled. Gary Payton, too. Uh, and before he got suspended for a game, and then before he hasn't really shown up for the last two, and before he hurt his hamstring last night, yet somehow played through it, Dylan Brooks was just sort of a harmless guy you could put on your fantasy team, and yeah, he'll he'll take some bad shots, and yeah, he's not going to help your field goal percentage, but he might have 25 or 30 points on any given night, and he was just sort of I don't know. I don't know what the what the word is that I'm looking for. But he was like this. To me, he was like this cute, harmless guy you could throw on the end of your fantasy roster and be okay. But watching him and his shot selection in these playoffs, when they when they're really the only game in town to watch, uh, it's pretty frightening to watch Dylan Brooks shoot a basketball. Um, I think I posted a stat last night. Well, he's three for nine now with two broken backboards because. Two of his threes barely even hit the rim, and they just clanked off the glass. And um, he has not really met a shot that he's that he doesn't like. He loves to just chuck. Um, one of the one of the Memphis beats last night was like, "Okay, we're up fifty five, Dylan. Now's the time to get out there and take all those off balance fadeaway one footer threes that you want. Get them out of your system, um, and then don't do it again the rest of the series." So. Uh, five of 13 last night, five of 19 on Monday, which was really a rough one to watch with four turnovers. Uh, oh, for three before he got thrown out of game two and three of 13 in game one. Uh, just brutal, brutal stuff. Yeah, we talked about Dylan on, on Wednesday's podcast in terms of his performance in, in game four. And He's one of those players who plays with that edge. I think that entire Grizzlies team plays with an edge. Mm-hmm. It's just that he isn't as good at, at harnessing that as some of the other players on that roster. And you kind of see that in his shot selection, you know, where he just comes out firing. You like the aggressiveness, but it's sometimes it's like 
you need to be a bit more judicious in your shot selection. And of the guys we've talked about in terms of breakout candidates for next season, someone's going to have to take a back seat, and it's it's most likely going to be him in terms of the offensive shots. He averaged a career high 16.4 field goal attempts per game this season. I don't think he's going to hit that number. And then you, you add in the low field goal percentage, he's kind of a – a guy that you're really going to want to avoid in fantasy drafts for next year. Yeah, it's funny because I thought for this year, it seemed like we were kind of turning a corner where Brooks was not going to be a total liability field goal percentage-wise. He shot 43.2% but and 84.9 from the line. In the playoffs, 34% from the floor, 65 from the line. So I think it's just a reminder that the risk is still in there. And so maybe, you know, expect something less than what we saw during the regular season this year probably something better than what we're seeing in the playoffs but all, all those points are taken i think you know the, the playoff numbers are pretty underwhelming including 0.8 steals not a lot else other than some points and threes so he will not be a high priority for me in drafts andy's andy's suppress, suppressing like the anthony melton like the anthony melton should be playing like i don't i don't know i i've kind of given up on melton ever getting a fair shot for whatever reason to play consistently under this regime. It just seems like, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've lost hope. I don't understand it. He always seems to shine when he gets his chance, but he cannot clinch a 25 minute per game role, no matter what, you know, even with John Moran well, out. So yeah, maybe he benefits if they lose Tyus Jones though. That's yeah. the thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope. Let's hope. Okay, one guy left. One guy left. And for me, that is DeAndre Hunter. And this is an interesting one because on the surface, you can say, well, he was a bright spot for the Hawks in that lopsided series loss to the Heat because he did average 21.2 points per game. He did shoot 55%, 55.7 from the floor and 46.2 on threes. But if you dig into the stat line a little bit more, it just shows you, and as we kind of think fantasy here, how one-dimensional his skill set is becoming. So I, I had the top 52 scorers pulled up uh, in the playoffs on basketball reference. So going from the top all the way down to Danny Green at 9.1 points per game, no one has averaged less assists than DeAndre Hunter's 0.6 per game. There were only four guys under one per game. Two of them were Bucks big men. The other one was Danny Green. He also averaged a combined 1.6 assists, steals, and blocks, which I don't even know how that's possible, Raph. I mean... Can you offer any optimism on DeAndre Hunter fantasy-wise? Because for me, it just feels like he's turning into kind of a, a hollow, you know, hollow collection of points and threes and nothing else. I can't because we haven't even mentioned the injury concerns, you know. Right. Um, how available is he going to be? Um, he had injury issues this year. I think 23 games played the season prior. So, yeah, I, I really can't offer you much. I just think maybe – you know, over the course of a full season, give you a bit more in the assist category. But playing alongside a ball-dominant point guard where you're essentially thrust in this position of a finisher to possessions as opposed to someone who can get the ball and kind of do your thing for a little bit and then make something happen, that's not easy. And it, it really doesn't help his fancy value at all. And then, But my biggest concern are the injuries, like I said. I, don't, I can't trust him to stay on the floor, so I would probably leave him alone. The other thing, Matt, like with those horrible assist block and steal numbers, is he had three steals in that last game, like the DeAndre Hunter game when he scored 35 with 11 boards. He had three steals in that one. 
Mm-hmm. He had one steal in those previous four games total. So mm-hmm. had he not had that big steal game, had he not had that big night, like the numbers would be even worse. Like there would be almost zero assists, steals, and blocks in that entire series. And that that is a huge problem. Yes, he shot it well for that series. Yes, he scored when the Hawks needed somebody to score. And yes, he hit some three-pointers. Everything else was pretty much – it was bad. And four turnovers in two out of the four games, or two out of the five games. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, and then you add in the injuries. So I, I, yeah, I have a theory I that uh, Miami just wanted DeAndre Hunter to have the ball in that series. They, their, yeah. their entire game plan was let's put the ball in this guy's hands and make him beat us. And he almost, he did almost pull it off to his credit <laughs> in the final game before a very questionable foul call. But that game has just been so. That guy has just been so that hasn't been the guy he's been the number four pick in the draft it's so frustrating because then you see a game like that and it's like well, that's in there let's unleash it you know like it's maybe it's on the coaching staff some too i don't want to totally blame the player but i don't know three double digit rebound games all year including that one in that final game he's a big guy you know it's it, he, there's more in there i just don't know if we're ever going to see it that's the bottom line so on that frustrating note uh, who formatted this show to end on such a frustrating note? I want to know whose idea was such this. Such a downer. I'm so mad now. Come on, DeAndre. Let's have a big off season. Okay, uh, that's gonna do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a minute to rate and review us as well. We'll be back on our normal schedule next week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, in the meantime, I want to say thanks to everyone for listening and for watching live with us. And thank you to both of you for joining me today, Raph, Steve. Appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your week. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Thanks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.